Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Dating is awkward. There's no other word for it. And first dates, second dates, even 10th dates can make us nervous. What if we don't have anything to talk about? What if he's bizarre? What if she's rude to the server? What if he's into me and I'm not into him? What if I'm into her and she's not into me? What if? What if? What if? So dating brings out in all of us one of the hallmarks of anxiety. Asking what if. So imagine dating with anxiety. And some of you are saying, oh, I don't have to imagine. I have anxiety and I date. I get it. And so does Allison Sepanera, a psychotherapist known on Instagram as the anxiety healer. Every day, Allison provides her over 45,000 followers with tools and techniques to manage their anxiety breathing exercises, meditations, and techniques from cognitive behavioral therapy. And recently, Allison has started sharing some more personal elements of her life on Insta in her hashtag MyLoveJourney. Allison decided to open up her heart to love and share this journey with her followers. She's invited them into her love life, sharing the books she's reading for guidance, the vision board she's creating, and even videos of her pre-date prep and all the jitters that accompany that process. And because many of you are also on a love journey, and some of you also struggle with anxiety, I've invited Allison to Love and Life to help us tackle dating with anxiety. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. It's been really wonderful watching you share so much with your Instagram followers. And perhaps you're busy on other platforms, but I'm pretty much on Instagram for the most part. And that's where I've seen you as the anxiety healer, providing so many great resources and tools and It's really wonderful to watch what you're doing for people who are really struggling. And then I love that you have begun to share some of your personal journey. And in particular, of course, what relates to love and life. You're talking about hashtag my love journey. So I wanted to welcome you back on the program to talk about dating with anxiety, because that's something that so many people wrestle with today. And of course, dating is anxiety provoking enough. And so I wanted to ask you just to share again, some more of what you're sharing on Instagram with my listeners and then anything else that you could let them know about as far as your love journey. Oh, sure. Well, let me tell you, I could just talk about this forever. (laughs) As As far as anxiety, of course, and also dating. So um, yes, I have an anxiety healer on my Instagram and I'm so happy to have such a great following because it's so nice to be able to help people all around the world kind mm. of heal their anxiety and really talk about it and give them um, a sense of not feeling alone. And so as I was kind of thinking about my page, I knew I wanted to share more personal things about my life because that's how really people can relate, right? And they feel like less alone in things. And so mm. A lot of what's been giving, kind of influencing my anxiety the past couple of years has been finding love. And yeah. a lot of that has really been connected with my anxiety because a lot of um, what I struggle with is when I am around other people and I become anxious about different social situations and sort of like judge myself a little bit like I used to when I say certain things or, and so sometimes being in those environments of dating and getting to know someone new, it really kind of made my anxiety spike a little bit. 
So it's been, so I really wanted to start sharing that with everybody because I feel like there's so many people I've been getting messages that feel the same way. And I also wanted to sort of hold myself accountable about doing Mm -hmm. things that challenge me. And so I knew if I shared it with everybody that I would be sort of accountable in doing the the work (laughs) work for myself. Um, so, you know, and I, I don't know if, if that's something that maybe will resonate with the listeners or the followers, but I really love knowing that I get to share this part of myself with everyone. I know how personal that is. And, and you know my story. I didn't get married until 42. So at your age, I was also single and also going, oh my gosh, I'm ready to be done with this phase of my life. I'm ready to meet my person. And and I know how vulnerable that can feel. And you know from my book and my message, it, there is that temptation, anxiety or no, to compare ourselves to other people and where they are in their lives. And I remember thinking, well, she's got this really wonderful life with this really wonderful husband and these kids. And I, what do, what does she have that I don't have? You know, those comparisons, it's almost impossible not to do that, which then of course is anxiety provoking. And, but so I just, I, I feel that I definitely, I definitely resonate with where you are. I know my listeners will. And I just, I want to just say thank you for being so vulnerable because some of this stuff is not easy to share. And it is kind of like, a little hurtful because we go, gosh, I don't want to be comparing myself to other people, but I find I am and I don't like that about myself. So stop it. You know, we play these mind games. So I just want to say thank you for your candor and your vulnerability. Oh, that's so great. Thank you so much too, because your work has helped me so much in oh. in feeling more comfortable with sharing that vulnerability. And, you know, essentially what it comes down to is kind of piggybacking on what you said is like so much of the anxiety comes from you know, when I do feel like I'm dating someone and maybe I'm getting these these feelings that I haven't felt in a long time and then I'm kind of back to square one again. Like maybe that wasn't the right fit. And then ultimately my anxiety with the thoughts that I have um, has me just start ruminating about like, well, is there something wrong with me? Like what's wrong with me? Yes. And so, you know, so that just goes and spirals in my head over and over a lot of times. And that's where, you know, when a lot of what I do in my private practice and when I work with clients with high anxiety, we do focus a lot on the thoughts that we have and how they mm-hmm. produce feelings of worry and fear. And, and ultimately, we get triggered by different events, right? And so it can ha- leave us to avoid things or, you know, not really do things we'd normally want to do and get out of our comfort zone. So, when I, I'm so much more self-aware now about the thoughts that I have going into this, and I have done a lot of work on how kind of rewiring my brain and reframing the way I think. Essentially, that's cognitive behavioral therapy work that I do, but in like a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, but please feel free to flesh out whatever you want to talk about because you know I am all about CBT. And I think I just, I, again, I resonate because I think I fully embraced and understood the power of CBT, not in my therapeutic training per se, but when I was working it on myself, (laughs) I I thought, okay, this does work because it is helping, but it's very intentional. And so I'm sure with your clients, because I know just from my own personal experience and sharing this with others, we can learn it, we can read about it, we can learn it in class, we can then use it even as a therapist. But when we start to internalize it ourselves, we realize it is intentional and it is daily. It is not that all of a sudden we learn it, oh, I got some tricks from my therapist, some techniques, now I can get my mind straightened out. It's It's gonna go back to its default mode again and again. But as you get stronger, almost like you're you're strengthening a muscle at the gym, you can train your mind to get stronger to where it slips back into that old default mode less frequently and it starts to have a new default mode, which is so empowering. Yes, exactly. And, and, the, and the thing is, in this work, there really is a self-awareness component. So, um, you know, there is a lot of journaling work that I do. Um, I just, I, whenever I feel like my brain is just consumed with so many loud thoughts, I just write them down. I get them out. Mm. And they seem so disorganized in my brain at that time. But then when I actually get them all out on paper, a lot of them look very similar. And a lot of the thoughts that I have that are nece- aren't necessarily rational are coming from a deeper place within myself. So which we call sort of like our core beliefs about ourselves. 
Mm. So, so that deeper place is something that has really been um, something I've been working on with my, my therapist and um, I, I, on my Instagram TV, actually, uh, the last post I did was on inner child work. Yeah. And so that essentially means kind of reconnecting with your inner child and processing and talking a lot about how different events that may have happened when you were little and how that kind of shapes your worldview about who you are and the people around you and your relationships. And so in doing a lot of that inner child work, I recognize that, you know, when I was bullied, when I was in eighth grade has literally affected Mm. my entire life with men. Mm -hmm. And not that it's like a cause and effect, but that's definitely been such an influence in the way that I see men because Mm. a lot of the boys in my class were the ones that were bullying me and saying things about my physical appearance and saying things about certain things about um, the way I said things and all of this stuff. So going back to that and recognizing that I have so much self-awareness, I'm now sort of taking a step back and trying to tell that little girl that she's amazing, right? And she's not these things and that not all men are like that and that there are good men. So it's been really enlightening. (laughs) Yeah. And just so, just so we can kind of continue with this, this line of, of, of thinking and, and this kind of technique when you, cause I think so many of us have buried some of those wounds that you're not going to leave childhood unscathed. Even right. if you had this lovely, perfect family, you're right. There's the bullies on the playground. And especially those formative years, like you said, eighth grade, when we're just starting to become a young woman and try to flirt and try to see how we can interact in a romantic way. And if that is squashed real early, it can leave lasting scars that now you are in your thirties and you may not even be aware of until you take that time to quiet your mind, to try to unpack those beliefs. Where did this belief come from? Why do I have it? And start tracing it back. And and people can get overwhelmed by that. So what are some of the steps that you do? Do you get into a quiet place? Like you said, journal, look at those thoughts, those beliefs in black and white. Sometimes then you look at them and go, wait a minute. Okay, that's irrational. Where did that come from? Is that the kind of process you use? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of like the beginning stages. And when I talk to a lot of my clients, that's kind of what I suggest for the very beginning is to just, because when we have anxiety, we can feel like our brain is moving a million miles a minute Mm. and it has like a million thoughts in it at one time. And so it seems, it feels so disorganized and that's really, and so out of control. And so much of anxiety happens when we feel a loss of control And so when those thoughts are so loud in our brain, my first, just first step I always say is get them out somewhere, Mm -hmm. put them, put them down somewhere, put them in a journal. If you feel like writing, if not, we have now have phones that we can type into a notepad, type into your phone. If you're, if you're not by a journal, you know, get them out somewhere. And then a lot of times I will have my clients bring that in and process it with me. And we Mm -hmm. go over the thoughts together to kind of organize them a little bit better and dissect them. And so that's, um, that's essentially what I did also with my therapist. And so once we can really look at what those, where those thoughts are coming from and what triggers them and maybe what are the core beliefs behind them and by incorporating other tools too, in the meantime, like mindfulness tools that I love, you know, different breathing strategies and grounding tools, Mm -hmm. um, really, really trying to just dissect the thoughts one by one and, and really identify what are the ones that are most pressing and where might that stem from. Mm-hmm. And, and once you really are, you're becoming more aware of that, it's just, it really is life-changing. If you drink black coffee or hot tea, I know you've burned your tongue hundreds of times, or you've had to wait 20 minutes for your coffee to cool down, which by that time, your donut or muffin is long gone, and you've missed the joy of pairing that sweet breakfast item with your bitter black coffee. If it sounds like I'm speaking from personal experience, I am. But I've got good news for us. Drink Perfection takes beverages from scalding hot to the perfect temperature, where you can actually appreciate the flavor notes, by the way, in just 20 seconds without watering them down. Learn more at drinkperfection.com. And be sure to check out The Perfector's other application, taking red wine from room temp to wine cellar temperature again in just 20 seconds. Find out more at drinkperfection.com.
It is. And I know for me, I can relate to where you are because I remember, my listeners know my story and you may remember I called off a wedding at 34 and then had another really intense love affair for two years and then that went south. So now I'm 36. And then as we talked about in the biological clock episode, you know, the the clock's ticking and I want a family and all this. And I remember getting to about 39 and thinking, you know, those milestone birthdays can be particularly difficult. And I remember thinking, you know, it's one thing to be single in your 30s because sex in the city is still relevant. So it's still pretty cool. And I lived in Chicago, so it's a big city lots. But I remember going, 40? Whoa. And I had to then do what you were doing. I had to look at that, that thought and go, okay, I can choose to say to myself and fuel that thought and go, oh yeah, if you're 40 and you're single, it means that no one wanted you. It means that there's something wrong with you. It means that you're unlovable. And I went, no, I just, I, re- I refuse to receive that and I refuse to rest in that. So my approach is often, you know, the REBT model of unpacking that and dismantling and disputing that irrational thought. So I did some very active, but like I said, it took, it took being really intentional. It took writing down these thoughts and looking at them and just saying, no, I refuse. Because if I, if one of my best friends was 40 and single, I wouldn't think that she was a loser or think that she was unlovable, right? I'd just say, girl, you, it's just the timing's not right for whatever reason. We don't know. You haven't met anyone quality enough to be your man. I mean, but the things that we will say to our best friend are so empowering and so true. But then we listen to the lies ourselves and then we let those fester, like you said, ruminate. So I really did some work with, I said, you know what? I'm changing the meaning. Cause to me, it's like the underneath the belief is the meaning. And I said to myself, yeah. no, no, the meaning behind me being 40 and single is that I refuse to settle. The meaning behind me being 40s and single is that I'm strong enough to wait for an extraordinary relationship. I am not going to just have some mediocre marriage because I love my life and I know I can handle this life solo. So if that's what God's plan is for me, I'm cool with it. And and I don't want to have anything less than an extraordinary relationship. But that took intentional daily reminding myself, being my own like cheerleader, But eventually, like I said earlier, you can start shifting to where that default mode became more positive. So I would rest in that. It took a while then. It it takes more to derail you once you do that work. So I just want to encourage everyone that this work is very difficult at first, but it pays off in spades. And yeah, and and I think that what something you said that was so important is to remember that, you know, if it's not you know, we're so pressured by society and uh, by our peers and everyone around us about this, you know, life development stage of like where we should be, right? We should be at this place by this place. We should be at this place by, you know, we should be married by this and time and have kids by here. But it's, it doesn't always happen like that, you know, and it, and it's okay if it doesn't. I know one thing that I was struggled with so much, at least getting into my later thirties, like you were talking about getting Mm -hmm. into your forties, that's so different is, you know, this constant feeling for me that I'm going to be alone forever, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is like probably the hardest thing that when my clients come in and when I talk to my friends that are still single, single, probably the hardest thing to say out loud is that like, you're going to feel like you're alone forever because if you'd never get married or you don't have children. Yeah. And so the last like, I would say year or two has been really focused for me and my own therapist around that. Like, and I, there has been something where, you know, I've been able to look at the people in my life and I'm so lucky to have a niece and nephew that I love so much that I feel like they are my children sometimes where I know now, like I really do truly believe this now that if that doesn't happen for me, that I'm okay and I'm not going to be alone. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there is another part of me though that, and I'll get into this also how I got to this, this part of me believing it, that I do believe I'm going to find a husband. Like I really do. Mm -hmm. Now, whether I'm going to have kids or not, I'm not sure about that. And I'm okay with that. But it's so funny because ask me this same time last year, I would have been like, oh my God, I'm definitely gonna be a mom. Definitely gonna have kids. The husband, I can't really vision because (laughs) 
I can't envision it. And I don't really care about the husband, but he's definitely going to have kids. Mm. See, and I think you're in such a better place now. Yes, me too. Because we talked about it on the biological clock episode. There are times when people can put that cart before the horse. And I don't think you do your future kids any favors to just phone it in with some guy just because he's good enough to be the daddy of your babies. I don't think that makes a strong family. It definitely doesn't make a strong marriage. And we know from our family systems, their therapeutic orientation, we know that when the marriage is not strong, it trickles down everywhere throughout the family. 100%. And so, and that is, and I, I had this, this shift in my mind and I said to myself, you know, I want a companion and I know I want that. And, and even, you know, ask me again, a year or two ago, I would have been like, a man with kids? No way. I don't want to date a guy with kids. Like now I'm so excited if I meet a guy with kids. I'm really good with kids and how great <laughs> to have a stepchild, you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Other, obviously there's challenges with every type of relationship that you're going to get into. But I think when you limit yourself and there's, and for me, I just had so many boxes that I needed to check mm-hmm. that it was so limiting to really opening myself up to love. How did you then make that shift? Because you spoke to it. Do you, was it a kind of an epiphany? One day you thought, you wait a minute, I've got some things I really need to get aligned to be more consistent with what I'm really, my real true goals and values. Right. Well, so what actually happened was, so I've been doing this work, you know, with my therapist for a long time. And really after this summer, I, I gave myself this summer to literally not date or anything. I wasn't even worried about it. I said, this summer, I'm going to spend time with my family. I'm going to have fun. I actually take all of my off, my time off in the summers because I love the summer and go down the shore. But I decided, I said, you know what? I'm not. And then when the fall comes, something does need to change. I need to do something. Maybe mm-hmm. not, you know, like I'm going to go on at least five dates a week. Not that, but I need to do some type of self-introspection and, and something. And so that's when I actually found um, it had like dust on it, but my friend had given me a book like five years ago and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the name. It's called calling in the one. Mm, I've heard of that. Yeah. Uh, by Catherine Woodward Thomas. And it's, and I, and I saw it and I said, you know, I'm going to, I started reading it, you know, about a year ago and I'm like, I'm going to start this and really commit to, to the work. I really just want to see what it's about. Now, I will say that underneath the title, it says seven weeks to attract the love of your life. And I'm, I'm sorry, I don't really love books that give you kind of a time, you know, like you're going to find the yeah. person. You know For sure. I mean? Oh, yeah. So I kind of dismissed that. And I said, I'm just going to go at my pace. And I started kind of reading this. And I always heard about sort of visualizing your life and manifesting, um, you know, what you, what you want, like a life of abundance. But for me, visualizing, they do a lot of visualizing work, which means I created like a vision board and I started really, um, writing a story about what I want my life to look like and, and what I imagine my husband to be like. And I don't mean like tall, dark and handsome. That would be awesome. (laughs) Right. But what types of values? Yes you know, and Mm. what do I want out of a healthy type of partner and relationship? And so honestly, when I started visualizing it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can actually visualize a man in my apartment next to me on the couch. I haven't had a a man to my my apartment since I've lived here. I've been here like three years. I've never Mm -hmm. had a, a man ever. And I'm okay. I can get my, I can let my brain get to like how weird that is, but I'm not. It's just because I wasn't ready. Yeah. And so now I'm thinking about my apartment. They also talk about a chapter with creating a space for someone to be mm. in your space. So I kind of shifted a couple things in my apartment. I made my bedroom a little bit more friendly to, you know, if someone comes in there, you know, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I know this is G rated, but. Um, <laughs> So, but you know, and yeah. so I really visualized it. And I think that is what has been like life-changing for me. And that visualization allowed you, so, cause it wasn't intentional. I know you didn't say, okay, now I have to prioritize the relationship and put the mommy stuff to, aside for now, or be more open to being stepmommy 
or, and you've, you've frozen your eggs. Cause I know we talked about that before. So, so you still have like a, a tons of potential, but it sounds like you made that shift. Now, was it the vision board and some of the work you were doing through the book and then that naturally happened or was that an intentional, I need to get these priorities in order? So it was sort of intentional as far as, as, and I've always been sort of that kind of person, you know, when I, when I want something to change, I take action, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, maybe it was a little bit of both, but it was definitely intentional as far as, you know, I was cleaning my apartment one day and the book was underneath something. And I said to myself, you know, maybe this is sort of like a sign. Yeah. (laughs) I want to, I want to take action and that's the type of person I am. And I've always, actually, I always have wanted to um, do a vision board, probably like three or four. I've always talked about it. And I went on, um, I went online to see if there was like a meetup for a vision board group or something. I've done that, but for some reason there was something holding me back about doing it on my own. I don't know what that was. And Mm. so I said to myself, I'm going to do it. I'm creating a vision board. Maybe I was scared for, for letting this into my life. I don't know. Cause there was some fear into it a little bit changing this, but I was sort of, it was sort of intentional. Do you think you were scared to hope? Maybe. Yeah. And, and actually get what I deserve. You know, I've always been that kind of person that has a lot of self doubt. And so all of my decisions that huge decisions that I've made in my life, um, have always been so over like overanalyzed everything before I actually made the decision. Yeah. And back in the day, I would totally say, okay, well, what, what did I, what would have happened if I made this decision instead? Or, you know, I trans, I went to a college and then I transferred a year later because I knew that I knew I did, shouldn't have gone there, but right. So, but part of me back in my twenties is like, Ugh, I totally knew that I made the stupidest decisions, but now everything, every decision I've made has led me to this place. And mm-hmm. so I trust myself more. And now I'm really ready to make one of the biggest decisions is to find love. And hopefully, you know, it, it lasts forever. And now I'm okay with, you know, well, you know, things happen and it's okay. But right now I just want to trust myself and be my best self and also put myself out there and get out of my comfort zone. And so that's really what it's about. Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram at Dr. Karen, that's D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. Live tweet with me when I watch my favorite shows, Will and Grace, my brand new fave, God Friended Me, and of course, all shows Bachelor Nation. Join me on Facebook where I'm stepping up my Facebook Live game. I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. So much of this feels very, very familiar for me. And I even have, I start out my book about, you know, you talked about control and anxiety is about wanting to control. And I do think that many women, and I'm uh, I'm super in my head all the time in the decision-making stuff you talked about, me, all the time. I'd make a decision and then revisit it a hundred times in my head. Did I make the right decision? Was that, did I, what if I gone this way? To where I couldn't even have peace of mind with the decision I made because I was overanalyzing the 17 other choices I didn't make. It's, oh, yeah. it, it's exhausting. And in my book, like I was saying, the first chapter I talk about, I think one of the main concerns for women like us who were take-action people... And so we are, we're going to go get the degree we want, and then we'll get an advanced degree because we want the, we want to be in the therapeutic community. We want to be psychotherapists. Do, 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 we do, 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 do. And love is not quite a hundred percent in our control and it drives us crazy oh because yes. we, we just want to take charge of it. And like we did with our education, like we do with our careers, like mm-hmm. we do with everything else in our life. And so I definitely can relate to what you're talking about there. And I think that it's something that when we sit back a bit and I hear you speaking to this and like you said, everything in your life has happened to bring you to this point and we have to lay back a little bit and lean into some faith. And that is very difficult for take charge type of women. And I can assure you being a couple years ahead of you in this journey that Things like, I mean, I remember thinking, I, I, I don't know if I could be a stepmother. Oh my gosh, that would be very complex. And I came, come from an intact family. No divorce. I don't know anything about that. 
And now I have three stepchildren who I absolutely adore. And I would be, I can't imagine my life without them. It's just things, things that we think have to be a certain way. If we can just ease off that a little bit. And there's one of my all-time favorite quotes. You may have heard it. It's, we have to be willing to let go of the life we've planned so as to have the life that's waiting for us. Oh my gosh. Right? Yes. Oh, I love that. So, and, so, so true. Yeah, and, and yeah, we take charge of what we can absolutely all day long. And the parts that we can't let go a little bit and just see what happens. But it's... It's so hard. And I, I want to say that that is, um, I want to give the quote the credit. I think it's, I want to say um, Joseph Conrad, but I, it's it's misattributed. It's been E.M. Forrester. There's a couple of different people, but I use it in my book because those that quote in particular, when I was about 30 years old, I found it in a magazine and I tore out the page and I still have it to this day because I, I knew I needed that word in my life. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I love. I mean, really, it's it's so true, and and it's it is letting go a little bit of you know where I just had a client actually um, who's going through something similar, and she, you know, she said, "I've never, I never imagined myself at this age being where I'm at." Right. And so there was so much I could relate to with that. You know, at this age, I never imagined. I never imagined that I would be struggling with this. You mm-hmm. know, and. And having this type of journey, but to be honest, I was never that type of girl that you know was trying pretending I was getting married when I was little, or like you know wanting to be a mom and a wife. I mean, or or you know planning out my wedding at eleven years old. I was not that girl at all. <laughs> so, so I think that for me, that's why the the um, creating the vision and seeing that in my mind is so important for me now because mm-hmm. I just never really did envision it. And it's okay if you do, if you're like that, that's great. And if you're not, it's fine. But I think there, I had so many other experiences that also, you know, got me to where I am now. But I think for me, visualizing is just has been so amazing. And so I keep my vision board now. It's hung up on my wall where I can see it every day. And I look at it and I, you know, I have intentions and I have affirmations that I say um, about that day. I really just think about one day at a time too. Mm. So I wake up every morning and I, you know, I just say that I'm loved and that today's going to be a great day. It doesn't necessarily always have to be about like dating, mm-hmm. but I just, you know, I, I allow love into my heart. You know, I say that and, um, and it really just sets the tone for the day. And so... It's crazy how, you know, it's been going the past couple of weeks because I have been seeing someone and he's really sweet and I'm trying not to overanalyze everything and I'm just enjoying it. Mm-hmm. It's so different than it has ever been in my life. <laughs> mm, I love that because if we can, when we start to lay back off that a little bit, we can just enjoy what is and start working our gratitude for what is and for the love we do have. And that was something that was very powerful for me because when that voice would try to say, well, you must be, something's up because every time you get in a relationship, it's going to tank eventually. And w- when I had that thought, I thought, you know what? Yes, the common denominator in all my failed relationships is me. That is true. <laughs> but but also, I am also the common denominator in lifelong friendships that are 20 plus years. And great family relationships. I have very warm, loving connections with my brothers and my parents and and my nieces and nephews. So I thought, I'm not going to get into that space where I think that it's me that can't love and is unlovable. So when we do that, we start shifting that mindset, then things start naturally kind of easing. And then you can be freed up to not, which I love. And I know we've talked about the book Deeper Dating because I got so excited about it and wanted to share it with you for your your journey to love and and he talks about being able to be freed up on a date to stop because sometimes we approach a date and again I'm thinking about people with anxiety it's very easy for all of us and certainly with people with anxiety to approach a date as okay I hope this works out right because I I'm tired of getting broken up with I'm tired of ha- being heartbroken and the clock's ticking and I'm ready and this has got to happen and so if it doesn't 
then it feels like this massive rejection and now we're derailed again and here I go again on my own and la la la. And Ken talks about what you're saying is just showing up and the goal of the date is to just be yourself. Yes. Be, yes. Be and, present. Oh my gosh. And I, I was actually just going to tap into that. I'm so glad you said that because, um, you know, thinking about the anxiety that I had even before a date, no matter what, it could be a first date. Actually, first dates are usually easier for me than the, the dates if I go on more than one because then they're really getting to know you, right? Mm. So, so the first dates for me are very superficial. And so that sometimes actually was less nerve wracking for me. Mm, and mm-hmm. so, so when we t- think about, you know, just be yourself and that type of thing, I think that's where a lot of anxiety happens because sometimes we don't love every part of ourselves. Mm. And so that self-love work is going to be so important. So that's something I've really explored as well in the past couple of years is really learning to love myself and really learning that, you know, there's parts of me that I have been so mean to that I need to be kind to. And I need to, I mean, I wouldn't say some of the things to my best friends that I say to myself, you know? And so, so like, I want to, I want to make sure that I'm kind to myself and then, and then I will feel so much more comfortable showing that part of me to people, Mm. you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I love that you bring this topic up because Ken talked about it as well. That is, we know down deep that the self-love is the foundation for everything, whether you're talking about your best friends or your coworkers or your family, and certainly in romantic relationships. So when you talk about doing work on self-love and trying to be kinder to those parts of you that maybe you haven't been kind to, Ken talks about it as appreciating and honoring your core gifts. What what did you do specifically? And again, I'm always trying to get back to some of those tangibles because I get these questions and I know you do too all the time. And I'm always looking for resources that will help my listeners and followers really do that concrete work. So when you when you wanted to, and I love that you bring that up because being yourself, if you have anxiety and you don't like several parts of yourself, then that's not, that's, that's, there's no comfort there, is there, to say just be yourself. Yeah. Right, exactly. So I'll tell you the, the mm-hmm. biggest thing for me was get a picture of yourself when you were a child and going back to that inner child work. And just, I would say, write a letter to yourself and write a letter to that child. It could be a picture of you when you didn't feel that you were maybe at your best, or maybe you didn't think that you were enough back then. Um, It could be any picture if you want, but really finding a picture of yourself and writing a letter to you and trying to kind of word it in a way that is what you would tell yourself now, Mm. you know, like what would you tell your younger self now? And I, I mean, I have pictures of myself when I was younger that I used to look at, that I used to automatically say to my, oh, she's so ugly. Why did you let me wear that outfit? I mean, that's disgusting. I'm so fat. I mean, mm. all of these just thoughts that automatically came to my mind. And I remember with, with my own therapist, you know, I got this picture and I sat down and I wrote myself a letter. I wrote that little girl a letter and I was like crying hysterically because I was like, oh my gosh, I've been so mean to this little girl. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I actually work with kids now who say the same, think the same things about themselves. And I can't imagine yeah. ever having a little child think that about themselves. They're a child, right. you know? And so that inner child work, getting that picture, maybe writing a letter, um, you know, I'm huge that's, that's a huge, very much a huge work of introspection, but also with, um, with like your daily life. I mean, I love practicing affirmations mm-hmm. and self-love affirmations. Um, I love setting intentions every day, sort of the couple that I said out loud, you know, I love saying that, um, just telling myself things. Sometimes I say them in the mirror to myself and I, it's going to sound, a, it's going to seem a little bit uncomfortable at first if you've never done this work. <laughs> but I promise you, if you stick with it, really looking at yourself in the mirror and telling yourself kind things about yourself and practicing those self-love affirmations in the mirror while you look at yourself, there's just something so powerful about it. Hmm. 
And that has been, that's been amazing for me as well. So I would say start there um, and, and really just, really just see if, if you can see a shift. Yeah. I mean, we really can't underscore this enough because when we come from a place of deficit, then we're hungry and we will take people not treating us well just because we've got this void that we so desperately want them to fill. And it's just a recipe for disaster. Yes, exactly. I I would say also, if you see certain affirmations that really speak to you, write them on a post-it and put them around your house. So you're surprised. You're, essentially, the way this works, which is kind of amazing, is that the more that you see certain statements like that, self-love statements or positive statements or affirmations, the more that you visually see them, your brain is rewiring to kind of believe it. Mm. And so the more that you see it, the more you kind of are starting to memorize them and, and rewire your brain a little bit if you see them around your house. So put them around and don't worry about <laughs> people coming in saying, wow, this is, the, I mean, they will probably say, wow, I, I want to do this in my house. That's great. Um, but yeah, something visual so you can see it. Well, and I remember the visualization stuff, even vision board stuff. I know some people might think it's really woo woo, but I remember coming across some studies that showed that, for example, athletes do a lot of visualization. So a basketball player will visualize hitting every, uh, every free throw. And if you look at the brain imaging, that's at work between someone actually shooting a free throw and then visualizing himself shooting a free throw. There's a portion of the brain, obviously the the, the part that's moving, that's probably not active, but the, there's a part of the brain that absolutely looks the exact same. It has no idea that we're not actually shooting a free throw. So you're right. We can, the brain, we are just beginning to learn how powerful it is and how much more control we have over our brain. And that rewiring, it's back to what we talked about. When you rewire your brain in a more positive direction or a, 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 a direction of belief and possibility, then that's the new default mode. That's your new normal. And how about that to make, instead of being fearful and worried and anxious, your normal, let's make it belief in the possibility and inviting this love that, that we want into our lives. If you're single, you've likely heard it all. You've been told you're too picky, you should just get on another dating app, or that you're not trying hard enough. And you're probably really tired of hearing those messages because I know I was when I was single for all those years, which is why I felt the need to bring another perspective to the dating relationship self-help genre. Single is the new black, don't wear white till it's right, is my take on what the single life can be if we refuse to settle, we know that we're worth an extraordinary relationship, and we refuse to fall prey to single shaming. Trust me, it is a different self-help book. Check it out on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or on my website, www.drkarin.me, D-R-K-A-R-I-N, Dot me. One hundred percent, and I, I can't encourage enough too that if anyone listening is feeling like they just want some extra support, go and and try and find a counselor in your area or a therapist in your area to help guide you through this because you're not alone and. I, I mean, listen, I, I'm in this line of work and I needed some support. And I think just getting, getting that person who's really able to give you some good insight and help you through this journey is so important. So, um, I highly recommend that. Yeah, absolutely. Echo that completely. And I honestly, because of the more, I don't know, what do you think, Allison? I'm just throwing this out there. I sometimes am surprised, honestly, when people who get married young, and I'm not trying to hate on the people who get married young, everyone's path is different, but having gone through so much of my adult life alone and knowing all the independence and all the work that I did just by virtue of trying to get my mindset sorted out, that it's almost amazing to me when people can get married young and have that really in intense and strong bond just because I know that when I was 22, there's no way I could have loved myself the way that I do now 
because I was just young and, and I hadn't been, I hadn't encountered an opportunity to do that kind of work yet. So it's really, to me, I try to encourage people who come to me and ask questions about the single life and being single for a long time. I try to help them reframe it as a gift that they give themselves and their future relationship because it is so powerful to bring all the fullness of those years of becoming strong emotionally and mentally ind- independently, doing that by yourself. Because I never look to Dan, my husband, and expect him to make me feel better. If I'm in a cruddy mood, it, it would never occur to me. Whereas I think when you're younger, sometimes you do kind of expect each other to carry each other's emotional burden a little bit, which we know no one can make us feel happy. No one can really make us feel sad either. We, we really have to own our own emotional state. Oh my gosh, 100%. And, and I, you know, everyone listening, and maybe you've heard this before, but there's always someone that is going to tell you, you know, you have to be happy with your life and where you are first before you can let anyone else in. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had a dollar for every time I, oh yeah, <laughs> I heard that. And I was like, yes, I know, I know, but you know, now what? Okay. I know right. that, but what do I do now? You know, I always thought I was happy or I always thought that you know, I was living my life in the way that it was supposed to be. And I always was, I always thought I was putting myself out there, but I really wasn't really tuning into my own needs about myself and my own love and my, you know, my own love, even with other people around me and who I had in my life and my own vulnerability actually. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, and I, completely agree. And then I would just bristle when people would say that to me, because first of all, I thought I am happy. I'm not sitting here crying in my beer, wanting you to fix my love life. I'm just talking about my reality. But so it used to bother me because then I thought, oh, so people who got married at 22 were, they they were just emotionally healthier than me. Like they just had it all together. They were super happy and fine. I really, that used to really bother me because I thought, here's the thing. People want it to be formulaic. They want to have answers. They see that you're single. They see that nothing's worked out so far and they feel really bad. And I don't blame them. They feel bad. It's hard to watch someone heartache after heartache after heartache. And it's hard to watch. But so they want to give it an answer. (laughs) It doesn't help. It makes it worse. Right. For sure. And I think it's so interesting because there 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 are people that I have met that have this fulfillment only by being a mom and a wife. Like mm-hmm. that's the only kind of fulfillment I see that they have in their life, which I don't know is necessarily healthy either. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but then there's, you know, women like me or, you know, other individuals that are maybe more focused on other things that are find so much fulfillment in other, other ways, not just that. And for me, it, I think it was hard to find the fulfillment in that since I hadn't really had it in such a long time or I haven't had it in a long time that I do want, that's almost like a bonus now in my life. I do feel very fulfilled and I want to have that. And I, I feel like I'm giving myself permission to still have my life I have now and feel fulfilled and also have love in it, you mm-hmm. know? So, you know, it, it's, it doesn't, just because... In my mind, I always say just because, you know, someone has this type of life that I see on, you know, fake book or whatever, <laughs> right? You know, all these, these lives that I see, you know, there's nothing worse than being in that type of marriage, but like being very lonely and being and not feeling fulfilled than, you know, being single and feeling like you have a, a, a fulfilling life. So I like, I, I'm so happy that I didn't fall into that pattern, I guess, because I do see people in my life sometimes that are just really unhappy and it's a shame, you know, but. Yeah, it is. And it does happen a lot. And yeah. And we all have, like you say, we all have different ways of being fulfilled and I don't know. I get back to it, but it's hard for me because I know I I end up sounding judgy (laughs) because I'm like, I don't think it's fair. Like I said earlier, I don't think it's fair to just be like phoning it in with your marriage just so you can have babies because you know what happens? Then he gets neglected and, and you are all wrapped up in your children and then you're a helicopter mom to them, which is also developmentally horrible for them. And you ignore your husband and then he has an affair and then you get mad at him, but you didn't have sex with them for two years. So what do you expect them to do? I mean, <laughs> this is like, it's just, no, I hear you. it's just, I don't mean to sound judgy like that because I do want to say, Hey, you know, everyone's, everyone's journey is their own and it's not my 
position. But when women are coming to me and feeling that people are judging them, because why haven't you, essentially, why haven't you settled by now? Come on. You know, you're 36. It's time. And so then I bristle and I want to defend my ladies who I feel like are, they're taking the high road, the, the road of authenticity. They're taking the harder path in many ways, because as you spoke to earlier, society has these norms and these milestones that we're supposed to hit at certain times in our, in our lives. And so, yeah, I bristled <laughs> and I bristled when those questions came my way and those comments. So of course that's why I wrote my book. Well, well, yeah. And, and I, I think about some, you know, when I think about some of the women that I know and um, that are clearly unhappy with where they are, whether they're married or not, really what it comes down to is I just really hope that everyone can just find the, their their best best selves yeah and be really the best part of who they are and find that self-awareness piece because some people go their entire life not ever even knowing that yeah that's so true and so whether you're married or not or single or kids or not whatever just try and do the work to find your best self and really really love that part of you and really just give yourself permission to do that because that's really when I think the fulfillment comes no matter where you are in life. Mm-hmm. So well said. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what? any other suggestions for specifically dating with anxiety? I mean, you've covered a lot or is there anything else you wanted to share on that topic? Because I think that's something that, like I said before, so many people can really benefit from. Well, one thing I will say is if you're struggling with sort of self-esteem or self-love and you're working on it, but you you know, you're, it's always a work in progress. One thing I love doing before a date and it gets me in the right mindset is I actually put on um, a song that I like to dance to. So <laughs> it could be, I mean, I have a playlist, so a lot of it is like Justin Timberlake. And <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, Ariana Grande, who mm-hmm. is some of my favorite. And so I really just put on some music and I, you know, have outfits that I really feel good in. And I always try and make sure that I feel good in something. And I, not just because, you know, I used to just wear things because, oh, this is kind of trendy or something, but it, I don't really love it. I want to feel my best self. So mm-hmm. wear something I feel good in. I'll put on some good music. And I'll, I mean, I like to wear heels. So I put on my favorite heels and I really just get in a mindset of like, this is going to be a fun night. I'm going somewhere. And a lot of times also what I've been doing lately is I've been going somewhere new. So I was so used to actually just being... um the regular at this one bar near me and I'd bring all my dates there. And I figured, you know, why am I doing this? I feel like I'm just trying to play it safe because it's a safe place that I know. But now I'm really trying to say, you pick the place and if it's far, it's okay. Or I'll pick a place and it's maybe a half hour away that I haven't been to yet, but I've wanted to go to. And so for me, it's like, oh, this is a fun night now. You know, I'm going somewhere new. I love going to new restaurants and new bars and I'm going to talk to someone and have good conversation. So I would suggest getting, I know I would just suggest, you know, getting, getting in that mindset with, um, at least going out on a date, whether it's the first or the sixth or the 10th date, you know, um, really focusing less on the intrusive thoughts that might bring you anxiety and really trying to reframe that and talking to yourself differently and telling yourself tonight's going to be a good night. And Whatever happens, happens. But tonight is just for tonight. I'm going to go and I'm going to have fun. And it's going to be someone that I have a good conversation with. And maybe, you know, it's not the end all be all, but, you know, I'm feeling good and I'm not going to make it a good night. Do you have clients and followers who resist that? Because I know that it may seem almost too simple, like just make sure you have the right attitude and it'll be better. But I mean, we've all experienced that. We've all come to a party and had that, this is going to be no good. I'm not going to meet anyone I like to talk to. And then of course the party was a total bust. And then we've done the opposite where we said, listen, get your head straight, be positive, be open. And then we go to the party, probably the exact same people there. And we've had a great, great time. Yeah. Well, so what I usually say is when you're, when you're, doing this type of work, don't, don't say unrealistic Mm. things. Like 
tonight's going to be awesome. I'm going to have a great date. And I'm going to, you know, meet my husband. He's going to be my husband. <laughs> right. And I can tell because we've had great texts. And, you know, it's just going to be one of those things that I know we're going to hit it off. You know, that's not realistic. Right. So I think thinking about what is realistic. So you're getting ready and you're going to, a pl- at least for me, I'm thinking, right? Okay, getting ready. And if I'm telling myself that this is going to stink and this is not going to, this is not going to pan out like how I'm, I want it to pan out, then it's not going to. Right. If you are able to get ready and tell yourself, I'm not going to put pressure on myself. I'm just going to try and be who I am. And even going out on this date, even if it turns into nothing, I'm feeling proud about myself because I actually got out. Yeah. And I actually did it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? So maybe, and it's also, it's also important to kind of do a little baby step. So for me, sometimes I'll say, I'll get in the shower, get out. Okay. I have to dry my hair. Okay. Next I'm going to kind of put my outfit on and my makeup. Okay. Next I'm going to walk out the door and I'm going to get into my car. Mm-hmm. And once I get into my car, I'm driving now and I'm going to this place. I'm going to listen to some good music. And once I get there, I'm going to order, you know, a water or a beer or whatever I want. And I'm just going to sit. And for me, I like to get, or get places early. Mm-hmm. So I'll get there, maybe I'll have a little bit of wine and I'll be okay. And I'll just look around and I do it kind of step by mm-hmm. step. And it's like, this is reality. And it's almost like, I even think to myself sometimes when I'm sitting at the bar waiting, you know, oh wait, there's some cute guys at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You never know. <laughs> Someone's. Maybe I'll yeah. If he shows up late, he may be too late. <laughs> right. So, so there's something about again, putting yourself in an uncomfortable position and knowing and being with those, those, that uncomfortable feeling, but telling yourself I'm okay right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's okay. And so much of anxiety, obviously, you know, this more than me from all your work and, and just struggling, like you said, personally, so much of anxiety is thinking about the future. What if, what if, what if, what if, and Obviously, depression is oftentimes ruminating about the past. It, so all that mindfulness, that being present, being here now, coming early so that you can have 10, 15 minutes just to be, have a sip of wine, just be in that space, be present is so much more powerful than I ever get, gave it credit to because I was like, uh, you know, I, I was born and raised in the Midwest. That sounded like California woo-woo to me, right? <laughs> but I am a, I'm a fan now of the mindfulness movement. Yes. I mean, that's so true. I, you know, I didn't even think about it like that, but I think you're right. That's why I like doing mm-hmm. that because I like to have a little bit of time and just to center myself. And, um, and, and it is, you know, anxiety or the thoughts that we have is just, they're so related I mean, both anxiety and depression are related to intrusive thoughts, either about the past or the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, anxiety and depression are like siblings. Yep. So, so many times the symptoms can look different, but the thoughts that we're having in our brain are very similar. So a lot of that mindfulness piece, whatever might work for you. I know mindfulness is kind of like a buzzword. You know, it doesn't mean meditation, people. <laughs> meditation is a, is a technique that's like mindfulness. It doesn't just mean that, but there's so many different type of tools that um, can really help you help your brain quiet down and really be more in the present. Mm-hmm. I talk a lot about that on my Instagram on the anxiety healer. So, um, you know, check that out, but there's just, it's, it's a practice though. That's the thing you have to know. It's a daily practice. Yeah. And, and it's things that again, seem too simple, but taking deep breaths, grounding yourself by just literally touching things in your environment and focusing on the sensation, the physiological sensation. You are not in your head. I mean, we are in our head, but we can pull ourselves out of our head and st- and quiet that voice. One of the therapeutic techniques I liked was you can shelve it. If you're so worked up about this thing, you feel like you have to currently just work it out cognitively. I got to figure out this problem. This problem-solving mind is on steroids, you can go, Hey, you know what? Yeah. It's it's a valid concern. I'm going to shelve it right now so I can actually enjoy this sunset. I'm going to shelve it right now and I'll pick it up and it's still there. I can pick it back off the shelf and we can work out this problem later. And so often by just doing that, you diffuse so much of the energy from that problem that by the time you pick it back up, it's like scheduling a time to be worried kind of thing. And those little tricks sound too gimmicky almost, but they're powerful. Oh, of course. I was, I was just going to say that. I often tell my clients to schedule time to worry. Yeah. Um, 
And I do it with my younger clients and my adult clients. And it does, it seems like, wait, what? That's something that you do? Okay, I guess we'll try it. And I'm telling you, you decide, okay, from 7 to 7.30, you get to worry about everything, you every <laughs> whatever right. you want. You can worry about dying right now, whatever <laughs> it is that you have that you worry. 7 to 7.30 is when you're going to do yeah. it. And it is, it, it's so powerful in, in really healing that and helping you sort of compartmentalize a little bit better, which can be really healthy. And what I love is really all this anxiety work, it really just, then you just take that, those, that knowledge, the skill set that you are developing and you apply it to your dating. So really, you're getting back to the theme of this podcast, dating with anxiety is really just living with anxiety and then managing it with the tools by, like you said, therapy, by connecting with accounts like yours on Instagram that provide many bits of, of, of soothing comfort and uh, throughout the day and knowing you're not alone, that other people are going through this. So we don't have to pathologize this to the level that I'm the only person who's ever been buzzing around in my head and ruminating. No, you're actually human. Many, many other people <laughs> do that as well. And many other people have found solutions that really, really work and provide a, a great deal of relief. And as we spoke to earlier, can rewire your brain and, and create a new default mode. Yes, exactly. And I can't stress enough how much, you know, this work is so healing as far as also kind of accepting that anxiety is something that everybody has. And when I say anxiety, I mean sort of you know, the worry, right? Our worry mm -hmm. feeling. Anxiety is more of de a debilitating um, part of it, but our worry and our protective, I mean, it protects us essentially, right? So we are going to have these thoughts. They can't be just wiped away with a, a magic mm -hmm. wand. We're going to have worry. We're go it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. But how can we really manage it in a healthy way? And how can we, what, can, what tools and and what strategies can we use to kind of center ourselves and really create a life of balance was what's, what's important. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you and what you're doing in your work and your presence is absolutely doing all of that. And so again, thank you for coming on the program and for sharing your My Love journey and sharing all the resources and tools and empowerment and encouragement that you, you share every, every day on Instagram. And also you are, are, is it completed, but you have an online course that you're rolling out? Yes, it is. Uh, um, yes, it's called Healing Anxiety from the Inside Out. Uh, you can go to theanxietyhealingschool.com and check it out. It's essentially a six-week online intensive sort of program course that talks a little bit more about our negative thoughts and how we can really reframe and rewire the way that we think and incorporates a lot of mindfulness-based techniques that we do together. Um, there's a private Facebook group, so we'll have a lot of support and um, really just come out feeling just less, just lighter and less fearful of, of different things in your life. So um, you can check it out, theanxietyhealingschool.com. And um, I'll, I actually will be rolling out a couple mini courses in the next couple months too, um, more about cognitive thinking and mindfulness. Um, so feel free to check that out as well. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that with my listeners. And I hope they take advantage of that. Those are powerful tools indeed. So yeah, so let everyone know where to find you. Obviously, the anxietyhealingschool.com. Yeah, so the anxietyhealingschool.com is my online courses. Um, AllisonSepinera.com is my private practice website. So there's a lot of good resources. If you're not, if you're in the Philadelphia area and you're looking for counseling services, feel free to contact me. If not, there's some awesome resources that can be used from anywhere in the world. Um, and you can find me as the Anxiety Healer on Instagram as well. And Facebook is Allison Sepinera. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today and all that you offer. Just really thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. The love and life hack for this week is awkward. Yes. Impossible. No. We can date with anxiety. In fact, we can do a lot of things with anxiety. Oftentimes we can do things we really didn't believe we could. But thanks to resources that are provided all over the place, certainly in therapy and apps, 
absolutely on Instagram feeds like Allison's, we can manage anxiety and thrive in love and life. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Averill. Thank you so much for joining me today. And of course, a big thank you to all of you who subscribe to the podcast and rate and review episodes. I'm so very grateful for that. Also, be sure to get the bonus content that I'm starting to roll out. Many of you have been asking questions via my website. On the bottom of the homepage, there's a place to record an audio file of your question, which then I can use anonymously, of course, for a podcast episode. And I actually just recorded answers to the first three audio file questions I received, and I'm sending this private podcast to my email list. So if you're interested in getting bonus for my besties episodes, be sure to head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and subscribe to my email list. I would love to invite you to be a part of that inner circle. And until next time... Make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.